0: So this is the end of our series, uh, named after legendary uh, L.A. punk band Bad Religion, uh, headlined by Greg Graffin, uh, atheist and professor at Cornell, um, who's had a you know crazy career. If you uh, if you browse through the the Bad Religion catalog of songs, and you're looking at how at the critiques of religion, at, at what, um, what Greg really gets upset about. It's uh, it's almost always a leader guys. Greg Graffin hates leader guys. Uh, and it doesn't matter. He, he takes particular shots at uh, at preachers uh, like myself. But he also doesn't like leader guys of any stripe. Uh, whether you're uh, the leader guy. And it could be a leader girl. But he tends to focus on the leader guys. Uh, whether you're a leader guy um, of a major corporation. Or a small business. Or a politician. Or a, a, a preacher. Greg Graffin and bad religion are like, you are the worst. And, and, and to be fair, he's not totally wrong. Um, gosh, like how many times do we experience these just awful things that, that, that happen because some leader guy does something to somebody, uh, and, and it's really exploitative and abusive. Well, the, Greg might be surprised to find out that there is one person in history who can't stand leader guys more than him. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And so today we're going to hear Jesus. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't his like, meanness that he, he is towards leader people, uh, but this is pretty close. And so this is from uh, Matthew 23. Let's read it together. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, that's the religious elites, uh, and also, by the way, political elites in Israel is the same thing, Uh, So the, the, the lawyers and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. They're representing Moses to us. And so, you know, do whatever they teach you and follow it, but don't do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. We'll explain that in a second. They love to have the place of honor uh, at banquets, the best seats in the synagogue, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, to have people call them rabbi, teacher. But you, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all my students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah, me. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I think Jesus is basically, there's like basic two critiques that he has of of leader guys. Um, and and so we're gonna let's let's look at them in turn. So the first one is this: uh, they they do don't do what they uh, don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach, right? Uh, and the, and the big issue that Jesus has here is they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they put them on the shoulders of people, but they don't lift a finger. To move them. Now the reason that Jesus is saying this is because throughout human history, and this is especially true of politicians and religious leaders. Politicians and religious leaders have one thing in common throughout history, and that they don't have a job. They don't work. Uh, we who are in the, the politician and religious leading business are typically people who say a lot of stuff and write some stuff, and that's about it. But the interesting thing is the people that we're talking to have jobs. And what's even worse is that the people we're talking to are the ones who pay our salaries. And what the Pharisees in the ancient world did, and I think what we can see politicians do now, I've got a picture here of a guy, a shepherd, right? And then here's a guy who works seven days a week. Like, he's got a job. It's a tough job. He's a tough dude because he carries sheep around. You know, he guides them, protects them. Um, and the Pharisees, they would look at that and they would be like, like, oh, good job. But make sure, and they were especially, you know, crazy about the Sabbath. Make sure that on, on Friday and Saturday you don't, you know, do any work with your sheep. If they escape, you just let them run, run away. Don't, don't go get them. Which is ridiculous for a working person. That's crazy. But the Pharisees, they don't care because, what, they don't, they don't have sheep. They have working people kill sheep and cook sheep for them, and so it costs them nothing to say, you know, ah, oh, make sure that you take care of your sheep on every day but the Sabbath. Like that, that's that's totally fine for them because they've got no skin in the game. There's always going to be someone who's going to give them their meal because they're wards essentially <laughs> of the state of Israel. They don't they it's the tax money pays for their uh, food. And I gotta tell you, when I was reading this, I, the only thing I could think of, um, is what, what just hit me was all I, the one word, Congress. Like, I just, Congress is, is, is just like this in the United States of America. Uh, did you know that we, apparent, I mean, it's tied up in courts, but apparently, uh, I think in like September or October, uh, the White House put us all under a, um, like a vaccine and mask mandate or something like that. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it, but my understanding was uh, that certain businesses were going to have to have all of their employees vaccinated um, or they would get fines or something like that. Do you know who's exempt from that? Congress! Do you know why? Because uh, OSHA, the Office of Safety and the, the Offices of... Safety and Hazard Administrator, whatever it is. It, can't, it was in the 1970s they, they built this this organization that was supposed to protect workers. You know, So like if you're like a, a coal miner, they, they forced businesses to give you like masks or whatever to protect you. But one of the things about OSHA is that nothing that OSHA says applies to members of the government. <laughs> so so they, they can tell you what you got to do. Uh, but they, they, can't tell, they can't tell Congress what to do. And so interestingly, uh, the Democrats in Congress, they, uh, they are fining their own people in their caucus $500 if they see them without a mask. And then I think the Republicans are flouting it. They're like, no masks for us. And, and all the while, uh, you know, apparently, I think at some point, uh, this mandate is going to come down on us. I saw a couple um, weeks ago Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She's a socialist member of Congress, and uh, she was really, really upset when she found out that uh, the people in Congress are allowed to do insider trading. Like she, she found out that people in Congress are allowed to have them, their, their spouses or family members, whatever, invest in in stocks in a way that's totally illegal for for normal Americans, and she was like, "That's horrible." And then everyone else in Congress is like, what are you talking about? This is how we get rich. Shut your mouth. Leader guys, they're always saying the same thing. They don't say it, but they say it. They say, rules for thee, not for me. So it doesn't matter if it's like a business. It doesn't matter if it's um, you know a politician. Doesn't matter if it's me or or any other uh, religious leader that is a part of your life. You you have to keep your ears out. If you if you ever hear me or anybody uh, who's in a position of authority, a leader guy or leader lady, uh, saying this is how you have to live, and exempt themselves for whatever reason. There's always a good reason. There's always a good reason. Uh, fr- from that, that's a really big red flag. That's somebody who's probably. Uh, practicing really bad religion. Jesus goes on. He's not done. He says, uh, oh, look what they do. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Uh, They love to have the place of honor. They love to get invited to dinner. And when they do, they want to be in the best spot seen by everyone. They love to walk out in public and have people like, oh, Rabbi. Oh, Senator, oh, look at you. You're so important. And boy, I want to spend time with you. If you're wondering about uh, phylacteries and fringes, um, it, so in Exodus, there's this bit where um, the, you, you will have the law on your forehead and on your arm to remind you. Um, of, of uh, the law of Moses, of God's law. There's, it's supposed to be a metaphor, but then at some point in, in history, in Jewish history, they started taking it literally. And I got a p- picture here of, of phylacteries. What the um, Jewish rabbis did, and I think still do in, um, in very uh, conservative parts of Judaism, they had these little boxes, phylacteries, small box, that they wrap around their forehead, and they wrap another one on their arm, and inside these boxes, since it's the, uh, the next slide here, inside when you open them up, you can see that there's little scrolls uh, that have uh, the words of, of the Mosaic law written. And they get rolled up, and they, and they put them in these boxes on their, on their arms and foreheads. And the idea is probably a good one. It's like, it's like uh, you, you should always have on your mind God's law, right? God's law should always be on your mind. All of your actions that you do with your hands should be governed by God's law. It's, as far as religious traditions go, it's probably not a bad one. But, but what, what the religious leaders ended up doing, and, and these are, remember, they're political and religious leaders, they, they would get like the biggest box they could. So they'd walk around this huge box, and everyone would look and be like, wow, that guy really knows the law. He's got so many little scrolls up there. Um, and, they, and, they, and they would walk around, and people would look at him and I'd be like, oh my gosh, look at the size of that box on his arm. Uh, that, that dude really studies the scriptures a lot. He probably opens that thing up every night and unrolls the scriptures. By the way, remember, these are expensive, right? So these guys aren't poor, okay? It wasn't, wasn't cheap to, to write things in the ancient world. So these guys, so the, the larger the box, the more cash they've spent on having scripture, you know, uh, rolled up. So, so not only are they important and well-educated, they're also rich. So, of course, we should pay attention to them. Uh, the tassels, there's four tassels on the, the rabbi's garbs. And it's really the same thing. It's to remind uh, them that it's from a, a text in Numbers, I think. Again, where it was supposed to be metaphorical, but they took it literally. And so they'd have these big, and, and then the, they would get these really, really long tassels to, to symbolize, you know, the heavy and the, the weight of God's word and how it's holding them up. And then they're, they're holding on to it and, it. and again, what really comes down to is they just look really, really great. If you uh, remember 1972, right, one of the all-time greatest films, The Godfather, you've seen this film? I actually have never watched the whole thing because it's so boring, but what they tell me is that it's uh, really, really great. Apparently, at some point, like, a dead horse's head ends up in a guy's bed. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I did watch the beginning, and uh, it's a fascinating, the, the opening of the film is, is amazing because... Um, Marlon Brando plays the godfather, and, and he's, he's in his office. Uh, it's the, da- the day that his daughter is getting married. And this uh, Italian-American uh, undertaker comes in and asks him a favor, okay? And so this Italian-American, he comes in, he, and he has a really sad story. His daughter has been sexually assaulted in a brutal way. And he, and he tells the story. He's like, he's crying. He's like, and then uh, the, the, the police arrested the guys who did it. It was, a, it was a gang assault. And they let him off with a slap on the wrist, and Marlon Randall's like, what do you want me to do? And so he leans in his ear and he whispers, we don't hear it, but kill him, right? Justice. And then Marlon Randall looks at him, we've never been friends before. And now you come to me with this request. It's disrespectful. Never have you needed my justice before you had the police. Now they don't help you. You come to me. we never be friends. Got a little Latino there at the end, sorry. X, That's the new. Uh, and, and, and so, so this, it's a beautifully shot. You can see the picture here. Marlon Brando is, like, standing at, like, he's, like, huge in this shot, right? And, and, and what, what he does, he just, he just raises his ring a little bit. He doesn't, like, bring it up to his face. He brings it just, just like this. And, he, and he's, it's almost like, like, he almost leans back. And then, and then the guy is, like, Godfather, let's be friends. And he kisses the ring then Marlon Brando's like, good, good. It's such a powerful scene. It's iconic because it demonstrates what a leader guy can be all about. Marlon Brando just soaking. The Godfather soaks in his power. He loves the fact that if anybody needs anything, they've got to come to him sooner or later. And when they do, there's going to be a quid pro quo. People are going to come because they need the leader guy's help. They need him. And, and what the leader guy is going to say is, oh, I'll help you. But only if you recognize me. And later, when I need something from you, I expect that you'll take care of me. So then the next thing in your notes is that while you're getting wrecked, bad leaders demand, and that's the most important, right? Demand your respect. Well, uh, what are we going to do about it? Jesus, um, Jesus has, a, he, he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to totally upend, we're going to turn over the history of, of leadership. In fact, if you listen to what Jesus says here, what he's, it's radically egalitarian. It's like, we're, we're going to stop having leaders, basically. Now, that's impossible, Okay, it's impossible. Everyone knows that if you don't have somebody who's in charge of the ship, it's going to eventually run aground. We, as human beings, like it or not, we kind of need to have people in charge. But there's going to be a major qualification on all examples of authority or leadership in Christian communities, people who are following Christ. And Jesus says, well, you're not going to be called rabbi. There's not going to be... I love it. You guys are so sweet. Pastor Tom, it's just Tom. It's just Tom, okay? It's the same thing when my students they are like, do I, rest, do, I, do I call you doctor, professor? Like, Tom, it's just Tom. That's not how we do things here, okay? There, there, no one here is going to be called rabbi. You, you've got one teacher. His name's Jesus. You're not going to call me father. You're not going to look at me and say, hey, you're up here, okay? You know, you're the, the, the pastor. No, you've got one person above you, and that's God the Father, If you want to know how to live and what to do, you don't ask me, you ask the Messiah. Now, you might need me to, to help you, right? There might be some, some value added where I can, you know, direct your attention here or there. But ultimately, what my job is, is not to be your instructor, your leader, your what. I'm supposed to be kind of like the mediary to, to help you go somewhere else, where, to, to someone who really can be these things. I think in the 20th century, uh, there's there's two two leader guys I think who exemplified this who who you know they became famous in a way but but never it never really got to him. one's Billy Graham uh, and the other one I have here C.S. Lewis uh, and I chose to put Lewis up because I love this quote. Um, it, Lewis is a fascinating guy. He it's, it's weird. He, he was like ultra famous as far as Christians go, but he never sought the limelight. He never sought attention. He just kind of did his thing. He wrote his stuff. He would, you know, the people would invite him on the radio sometimes. He would say things. Billy Graham was the same way. You know, he'd show up and he would, you know, do these amazing oratories, but as soon as it was over, he just, he disappeared. Like, he was not, it was, he was not like, there just weren't a lot of lights on the guy. C.S. Lewis says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down you cannot see something above you it's so different from the godfather instead it's 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 being reminded that that the whole point of of your leadership as as a business person as um, as a politician as a religious leader, any leader, a teacher in a, in a classroom, it doesn't matter where you are. Everyone here has some place where you're a leader. And in that place, uh, you have an opportunity. The opportunity is not to lord it over. It's not to look down. It's not, uh, to, to en- enact rules on people that you yourself do not obey. Instead, it's what C.S. Lewis is alluding to. He's like, you look at me. You think I'm awesome, C.S. Lewis. I wrote screw tape letters. It was great. Good job, me. I read Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. It's an amazing book. You're right. But really, my point of, re- of writing those things was not so that you would think I'm awesome and make my bank account huge because of all the sales. Instead, it was for me to point up. It was for me to point. You look at me, and I'm like a signpost saying, no, 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 don't look at C.S. Lewis. Don't look at Billy Graham. Look at Jesus. He's the real leader. He's the instructor. Look at God the Father. He's the one who has the power and the control and the majesty and the glory. Look up, look up, look up. Stop looking at me. It's the last thing in your no cheese. Instead of craving your eyes, good leaders point you to Christ. And that i, I, I got to tell you that that is the scene quan it is the absolute standard it is the the final word on leadership, whatever leadership you exercise in your life is it causing the people who are around you is it causing them to see and look up to Jesus? If I get up here every week and I say things and people think it 's awesome and they start thinking that i 'm great but it, but aren 't Transform aren't aren't looking at Jesus, and I am. I need to be fired, honestly. And the same thing goes uh, if you're a you know business person you're in your in your home, uh, as parents, as as you know as teens with influence, like you know you guys. We have the cool teens here. Our our youth group is filled with all the cool kids. Okay, you got a lot of power, and if people are looking at you and, and they're like, oh man. What a good drummer, you know, which, by the way, well done. Do you know that one of our drummers is uh, the original drummer for Rage Against the Machine? Yeah, John Knox. Okay, so he's really, really good. He's a lot better than you are, but you're still really awesome. So, I mean, I'm I'm saying you're standing up against some of the greatest, and you're holding your own, well done, sir. But if the drumming makes it about Noah, you're going down a path, man. The drumming is to make us look at Christ. It's to transform the the songs, the prayers, the, the speaking, all of the things that we do here. If it's not pointing you to Christ, then get out. because we are doing you no favors. Of course, the Christmas story is the ultimate stamp of this. It is the ultimate example of this, right? The whole point of Luke 2 is to show that when Jesus comes, he comes in the lowliest way possible. He comes to be a servant, not to be served. He comes to be humble, and in his humility, even unto death, first, as a child in a manger with shepherds and dirty people around him and ultimately lifted up on the cross. His, his humbling himself to the point of death is his exaltation. It leads to him being the most glorious, the most majestic, the most wonderful person who has ever lived. And likewise, those of us who follow him must enact that in ourselves, if we live as, as servants, as humble, as lowly, ultimately in the kingdom of God, we will be raised up and exalted as the examples of who God wanted us always to be. If instead we live our lives accumulating and getting the adulation and, and, and making the rules that are, that are for them, but not for me, if we live that way, then in the kingdom of God, we will be at the bottom, the absolute bottom, taking out the trash and cleaning the toilets. It's a call to be like Christ, to come in with humility and make everything about pointing to him and not to me. So that one day he will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little and now you will be granted much. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, let us never be people who say, rules for thee but not for me. Let us never be people who, while lives around us are being wrecked, sit and demand respect. Let us never be people who are obsessed and and thirsting for craving eyes but instead be signposts to the one true Christ. In humility and joy, may we serve each other and serve you. May we reject bad religion in all of its forms and embrace the free and freeing gospel of life in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks, Tom.